Yes, and welcome back to the home of good news, uh, weird anecdotes from history, and hopefully a few jokes on the way. It is that news to me with me, Callum. Uh, this week has been great for some good news. Uh, there's been a few bits and bobs like Uber, for example, that we're going to get into later, and ferrets. So all exciting stuff uh, later on. If you actually want to keep up with daily good news uh, you can actually join us and follow us on at that's news to me pod on instagram uh, where our producer odin will be putting all of our content because uh, we can't go through every little piece of information here because we have so much good news to tell you guys uh, so that's a way of following us and uh and if you could like and subscribe to the podcast as well and let someone know that would be fantastic giving you more homework but before we get into all the good news and any kind of stories we need to introduce the man that is with me today he is as sharp as a knife he's as accurate as a gun and he's as hot as a flamethrower that's right he's a massive weapon it's buster <laughs> chater how you doing mate you're right I'm all right the pacifist in me doesn't appreciate the uh the sort of militaristic <laughs> intro but uh well, you know, what can you do? I'd, let's just say the flamethrower is just for creme brulee. The gun is a staple gun for admin work. And uh, the knife is for peeling apples. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for uh, whittling or something. Yeah. It's a toe knife for getting <laughs> all of the you... gun cut off your toes. <laughs> oh, that is actually how exciting as my week has uh, been this week. I actually cut my nails. <laughs> That's oh. pretty much all I've done. Great guns. Oh no, crazy. Um, how's your week been, man? It's been good, thanks. I, uh, it's been not too action-packed, you know, because of lockdown. But uh, oh, yeah, two highlights. Yeah, two highlights. We, 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 no, no, we're not going anywhere, not seeing anyone. Right, should we get on with your first story of the day? Yes, let's do it. This week... It's a story about the Lioness of Brittany. Or, as I like to call her, Brittany's Spear. <laughs> so this is a, a classic revenge story. Um, the famous saying, revenge is a dish best served cold. Well, in or, this case... Or yeah. you serve it by doing a music video about said person cheating on you with a backup dancer. Yes, yes, and, great Brittany uh, Link. Yeah, and uh, then it turns out that she did do it, but it was just a harsh way of doing it. Which is an amazing thing. I watched the documentary. <laughs> they're like, they're like, he made the the music video, and it was really, really harsh. And they're like, but did he? Did she cheat on him? Yeah, but you just don't do it like that. Because someone's so vulnerable. Well, maybe you could lace in some um, of the things that you've learned from the Britney documentary, because I haven't seen this. I've heard people talk about it. You could lace some of the information you've learned from that into this story, because I'm sure there's parallels between these ladies' lives. There's got to be. Nah, cry me a river, mate. <laughs> so instead of serving her revenge disc, dish cold or as a music video, um, the lioness of Brittany served it as an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, yeah, fill your boots. Fill your boot. Well, that. Oh wow, that's not how I eat my food from a from a yeah, it's buffet. Not very it's not, it's not, it's it's not, not the way I do it. Oh, did you get a plateful? No, I didn't. I just bought my big boots with me. Yeah. I actually bought wellies so I could fill it up more. Got a scam going in an Indian Every buffet. Great. Filling wellies with curry. 
I mean, as an aside, I love an all-you-can-eat buffet. I, I see it as a challenge more than a like something 100%. that you enjoy. It's well, so once, good. Once when I was younger, there was an all-you-can-eat buffet, and my auntie turned around to me and she said, "And because I couldn't finish my second plate, she said, oh, your eyes are bigger than your belly.' I went, "That's a ridiculous thing to say. Of course they're not." And I just took it really literally. I didn't know the <laughs> saying. I was like, "That's a stupid thing to say." I was like ten. Like, no, <laughs> my eyes are this small. Thought your auntie was just being rude and calling you a bug-eyed weirdo. <laughs> Why did you go for the bug eyes? I'm very, very... I was just thinking of the thing with the biggest are you, eyes. Are you saying that I've got bug eyes? Is that basically... No, no, you're doing I was just thinking of something with big eyes. But actually, while we're on the subject of that, biggest eyes in the animal kingdom is the giant squid. There's a fun fact for the listeners. There we go. Fun size fact. of a basketball each. Jesus Christ. Wow. Calamari rings the size of a tractor wheel. It's <laughs> 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 a terrible he, fact for a marine biologist. amazing, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, Endangered yeah. animals always. Oh, delecto. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I, I do eat octopus quite a bit. It's bad. It's too delicious. And they're really I smart as well. Yeah, but I don't give a shit about how smart they are. I don't, I don't think you should, like, <laughs> you, 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 that, you, you, do you know what I mean? You can't be like, oh, because they're dumb, I'll eat them. That's just a really harsh <laughs> thing to say. Either you don't like eating animals or you do like eating animals. And then, therefore, because humans are animals, I knew I'd get it in there somehow. I knew it. I was going to bring this up. <laughs> Hannibal Callum. <laughs> if you'd listened to any previous episodes, you can go back and listen to them. Every other episode brings up about how I'm okay with cannibalism as long as it's done nicely and correctly. But let's yeah. carry on with the <laughs> yeah. actual story. Yeah. Let's loop back to this story. So the setup of this revenge tale is uh, it's about a, a Breton woman of noble birth called Jeanne de Clisson. Uh, or Jeanne Genie. And uh, this takes place during the Hundred Years' War, which actually lasted 116 years. Yeah, yeah. it went on for longer. But if if you've got to 100, you're probably going to stop counting at that point, aren't you? Um, That's what I said about the people I slept with. But (laughs) I just... I just stopped counting after five. And they call that part of your life the Hundred Years' War, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) In your erotic memoirs. Can't can't count anymore if there's no more to count. (laughs) So, Hundred Years' War, or actually I'm going to start calling it the Hundred Years' War. Um, It was between France and England. England at the time had a claim on the French throne and some territory along the Channel, including Brittany, which is where Jean de Clisson was from. A time of divided loyalties because obviously people in Brittany had uh, potentially sided with England or France, but the Clisson family were on the side of the French king. So that's the the background to this. Um, and Jean herself, she was uh, married first time when she was just twelve. She was just a just a a girl, not yet a woman. Um, wow! And they were married for ten years what, to her what first years, husband. What years was this? This took place in 1340s. Uh, Jean had a pretty successful first marriage, married for 10 years. Um, and then after that marriage ended, uh, she had a second marriage, which was annulled pretty quickly. We don't know why, but that was over quite quickly. But then she married uh, her, her, I guess you could call it the love of her life at this point, because she, she was madly in love with this man, her third husband, Oliver de Clisson. Uh, and that's why she's now in these famous stories, Jean de Clisson. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were married for 13 years and had five kids. Very successful marriage. Great, great job. But 
ends in tragedy. So Jean's husband, Oliver, he was defending the town of Vaux, Vannes, not very good at French, uh, against the English, but he was captured by the attackers. He was released and ransomed, but it was a surprisingly low amount. So we don't know why it could have been a miscommunication about him being a Breton nobleman, or it could have been someone calculating the exchange rate between francs and ducats wrong or whatever. But it was a really low amount and people got suspicious. And the assumption was he was a spy and a traitor. So he was summoned to a tournament under the pretense of a truce by the French and the French king. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Or you got out, you got out of prison, and then because they thought you were a spy, they fighted you along to the World Cup. Come yeah. watch England versus Germany. Well, yeah, it, we'll it, see it what could happens. have been anything. Could have been a Warhammer tournament, you know. Come and paint <laughs> some little models. We'll hang out, crack open a couple of meads. Yeah, playing some Fortnite against each other. It could have been anything, but the, uh, the the couple of a couple of the noblemen who were involved in this uh, it's this defensive vans who were captured they they were all invited for this uh, tournament it was supposed to be a truce so they went and they were arrested tried in a bit of a sham trial all found guilty without any real evidence being presented and uh, and executed publicly oh, Jesus very Game of Thronesy sort of the Lannisters classic move backstab mm. them. Um, Very navy spanking worthy. Yeah. Well, these guys got more than spanked, and yeah, yeah they got publicly executed. Actually, so that's that's an unusual thing at the time for, uh, especially for noble. Well, really for noblemen, it was an unusual thing at the time. Common right. criminals were hung, drawn, quartered, dismembered, you know, publicly stripped and beaten, and all sorts of horrible things you, would you, happen you to them. But noblemen top to be killed because then it, it shows that they're just as bad as the people at the bottom you want them to have a kind of exactly that, that higher yeah, we, class they're better you want people to realize this the sort of the, the 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 bourgeoisie the the you know the patrician class were different they didn't have the same blood they didn't have the same insidey bits they're yeah. better than us they you know? are better yeah perhaps it yeah. was you know uh what does they call that shit that was going around the gods didn't have blood they had like uh icor instead of or blood like that glowing stuff Anyway. Prince, Prince Andrew is just better, we know. He's yeah. born better. He <laughs> well, he doesn't better. sweat, he's better than people. <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> so, Jean, uh, the, uh, the, the Brittany spear, Jean de Clisson was absolutely raging about this. Livid. She denounced the French king, Philip VI, as a coward, and uh, the Clisson family were, were done supporting the French. They, Switching sides officially. From blue, red, and white to yeah, <laughs> to, to blue, red, and white actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And at the time of this med- medieval heraldry, they all just had like fleur de lis and lions everywhere. Anyway, like you know, the French royal family were all you know related to the English and stuff. as a whole mess. Exactly. So, Jean's pissed. She Fuming. switched sides and payback step one. She uh, takes her kids to Nantes in France where her husband's uh, dismembered head is sticking on a, stuck on a spike at the city gates to show them look at that look what the French have done she would have said that in French look what the French have done <laughs> uh, I can't even know what, remember what French is for look look what the French have done Paul Pavor <laughs> so anyway Jean de Clisson has gone full Liam Neeson and taken now she is taking the kids to go look at that 
severed head of her now ex-husband um, and she, well, what she didn't uh, like sort of lacked in military experience here um, she didn't have any sort of you know military training or anything like that but what she did, lacked in that she made up for in like determination so she sold all her shit and bought an army and basically takes this army around Brittany just attacking French soldiers on site and Jesus. killing everyone she finds and at first people are kind of dismissive of like oh it's, uh, you know this this lady she's just pissed she's going around with a couple of you know mercenaries it's not a big deal you know but that changes completely when she attacks a French castle. It wins, captures it, and massacres every single person in there except for one guy who she sends back to the king with like a message like, tell your friends about me. Oh, wow. Wow. That's like um, when he doesn't, uh, you know, when uh, the tiger in Kung Fu Panda doesn't slaughter the messenger bird and he sends him back to be like, by the way, I'm coming. Yeah. He kills just, all the rhinos. Yeah, just to get everyone shitted up, yeah. She basically just killed all the rhinos. Yeah, and, then and was left like, the messenger oh. bird. And she basically did this, like, several times. She attacked loads of... Uh, how many people? How, how big was her house that she could sell to get so many people that they're taking over castles? Well, how big was her army? Hundreds. Hundreds, if not thousands, but probably hundreds. Yeah. She managed to capture a couple of castles, I think at least two, this recorded, and a garrison. And every single time, it's the same thing. Kill everybody. Like, even after the one and the surrendered, murder everybody. Leave one person alive. Send them out. I'm guessing that she was, like, looting the castles as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, she would pay for some of the... for the campaigning with the, the spoils of these attacks. Wow. But eventually, uh, after a sort of summer campaigning, terrorising the French, she does start to run out of money, so sends her army home and flees Brittany to um, to get out of you know the, the consequence because her army was getting too small to survive a counterattack from the French which by now we're starting to consider her a serious threat um, and a lot of people I think would consider this job done capturing a few castles killing hundreds of people in exchange for you know her husband being murdered but um, was she under conservatorship? And they sent her back <laughs> to France again. This is when she shaved her head. <laughs> she uh, she decided to retreat to England, which is a safe place for her, especially considering you know the war. And she decided with them in Brittany was was contended territory. She was received by the English and the English king with a massive like fanfare. She got given a, a gift by the English for her hard work in Brittany. Was it Genie in the Bottle? Ah, shit, that's uh, a... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, maybe it was better than that. Well, for, for someone who loves uh, loves killing as much as uh, Brittany's spear does, she was given a pretty good present. I mean, do you, do you want to guess what the English gave her? And she, it's something that she might have appreciated, given her propensity for violence. Was it a spear? Was it a big spear? No, it was a nice, way, way more dangerous. Way more dangerous? Swimming pools, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Michael Barrymore jokes, come on. This is... <laughs> um, I'm going to go for... What of one of those massive, like, catapults? Yeah, go for a catapult. 
Nice, yeah, that we can imagine her using that for some horrible thing like filling it with severed heads and firing it over a wall or something. Yeah, I just don't know what's around in like 1300s that's more dangerous. I don't know, like, I'm, I'm guessing there was no tanks around. Producer Corner has chipped in with a catapult might be how she transports the last survivor after she's killed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just pins a note to them and boing. <laughs> well, she was actually given a whole fleet of ships by the English. Ah, oh, shit. They she were stoked. Was that her? No, she, uh, she kept it closer to home and basically uh, painted all of the ships jet black, dyed all of the sails red to make them look like a, a dread pirate fleet. She um, became a pirate. Did she yeah. become a pirate? Yeah. She Fuck was not right done off. at all with the with the revenge plan. This is phase <laughs> two, becoming a pirate. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. And wow. It's, it's worth having a bit of sympathy for the crew of these ships because these ships were painted jet black. So imagine trying to get around that at night, drunk on grog. <laughs> Black ship not on a new moon. Not everyone had grog. Not everyone had grog. How did you get that eye patch? Was that a, a vicious battle? No, I tripped over and hit my face <laughs> on a hammock. <laughs> With my grog and my yeah. peg leg. <laughs> yeah, someone peg legged me at night time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty badass. So she sailed around the channel with this black fleet, uh, as it was called at the time, and uh, pirating people. Uh, and she did that for 13 years. Jesus, she loves the number 13, doesn't she? Yeah, she was not years. chill at all about this, I still. Am, I am pirating for as long as I was with my husband. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's a sort of a nice symmetry years, to it. She yeah. was like, solely, I was still attached to him for the five. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon she was doing like a time hop and ahead of all of their big moments? So, like, she was just, you know, chopping people's heads off at a castle in, in Brittany and going. This is when we first had sex, and after this <laughs> amount of time, this is when we first, you know, had our children. On, and this was the first time we went to the brig and we cut off some people's heads. Oh, <laughs> lovely times, lovely times. Well, how did she know it was thirteen years? Well, did they did they have calendars back then? Was that a thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She would. Uh, oh, they calendars. She, yeah, she, yeah. She, she, she was she was marking Valentine's Day with bloody presumably. Valentine's. Yeah. She, she she was the original bloody Valentine's. Exactly. Yeah. So. Her uh, MO of like killing everybody and leaving one person alive was continued through all of this time. So her whole thing was just sailing around with this black fleet with the red sails looking scary as shit, attacking any French ships that they saw, looting the cargo to pay for the continuing you know, rampage, wow. murdering all of the crew, leaving a sole survivor that they'd pop onto a little boat dinghy or something, send away with a message, the lioness of Brittany is coming for you. And we know the difference between a boat and a ship because you 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 nicely uh, told us how what the difference was last week. And that yes. Was, that uh, you, you could put a you could put. I'm going to do this in uh, a especially strong northern accent. Uh, you can put a boat on a ship, but you cannot put a ship on a boat. So like God. a ruined so boat piracy. is a little, so and a ship is a big one. You know. <laughs> Can you imagine that scary Newcastle accent? <laughs> Coming for you on a boat. <laughs> oh man, your money or your life, like? <laughs> Excuse me, what? Your money or your life, man? I can't understand a bloody think... word he's saying. Yeah, pronounce, man, pronounce. <laughs> I... <laughs> 
I think some pirates with learning difficulties are trying to <laughs> hail us. <laughs> this must be early early doors in pirating. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is this before is really doors, Walter Raleigh yeah. in the golden age of yeah, piracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is, yeah, she's yeah, setting yeah, the template yeah. for for you know pirating out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this, she was uh, making all those DVDs as well, wasn't she? Behind everyone's back. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. She'd market, be sneaking yeah. the Black Fleet. That's why they were painted black. The fleet could sneak into a cinema without being seen <laughs> and record releases before they were out to, you know, on DVD. Uh, or back then it was VHS and Vita Max yeah, back in it, the Hundred Years War. Yeah, and, and actually, if you look really, really closely in that, that little advert... You see her in the top right-hand corner, where it's like, Steve, you just see her in the little top right-hand corner. So, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to play it backwards to see her, but... Yeah. <laughs> She's there. Oh, you should have heard the Capital One Radio X radio show. It's great. <laughs> Sealand still have a portrait of her. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of the patron saints of Sealand. <laughs> she was pretty cruel, though, man. She, she like, you know, she oh, killed she everybody. It, mate. She, on no, all I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting her up there as a fucking lifesaver right now. <laughs> she she would have downloaded a car for fucking sure. She, she wouldn't <laughs> ransom people either, so like quite often pirates at the time or any sort of battles at the time, you would kidnap someone who was of noble birth or someone important, you would ransom them back and raise extra cash. Yeah, like Julius Caesar. So when, when he when he got caught... Um, yes, he they, got bombed uh, by some pirates yeah, in the Barbary Coast, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like making them like listen to his stories and stuff. He's like, "You're listening to my stories now." Like, you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't the stereotypical person that got stolen um, and, and taken by pirates. But once they ransomed him back and, and they got, he was like, "Kill him." And yeah. they ended up getting him back. <laughs> like, the wrong person to fuck with. Do you know what I mean? Like, really the wrong person to fuck with. He was the Liam Neeson of his day. So she so she kind of started pirating then. She Was she yeah. like the, the the original pirate? Was She's the OG, yeah. yeah. And she, she didn't take any shit. I was saying before about ransoming people. She didn't do any of that. She would personally decapitate any French nobleman. How do you think it ended? For thirteen years on the high seas, pirating. What do you think the uh, the denouement was? Ah, oh, she must have ruffled the feathers of the British by the end of it, right? As in the Channel, she probably didn't give a shit about anyone. Was it? She wasn't just going after French navy ships, I'm guessing. Yeah, she was, she was just any. just on the French. Just still, on the French. Still pretty oh, fixated on her revenge. She probably yeah. retired quite nicely in England, didn't she? Like in Norfolk or something, just feet up in a cottage. That's almost exactly right. Yep, she retired <laughs> peacefully. She used her pirate booty to pay for a nice little place for her pirate booty to settle down <laughs> nice. in Brittany and retired and eventually died peacefully in her bed. Oh. And she'd carried on this piracy campaign many many years past the death of King <laughs> Philip the sixth who originally was the guy she was pissed at he'd been dead for years when she was still <laughs> kicking it in the channel she actually married again when she retired as well Jesus yeah I bet she didn't say that in her vows did she she probably said oops I did it again <laughs> <laughs> now, could you could you imagine her just sitting there and you know doing your vows uh, if if you were ever harmed, I promise I would, to go on a decade-long rampage. Decade <laughs> <long> rampage. 
In sickness and in yes. health. Oh, isn't that a lovely metaphor? Yes, a metaphor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, I can see why you wanted to make so many comparisons between her and Britney Spears, as they seem to have actually you know, gone along the same path in life, except one didn't go around and uh, murder the pop industry. So, <laughs> let's get on with some good news. Okay, the first bit of good news, uh, I thought I'd start off with this one because it's one of the biggest uh, bits of news going on at the moment. Former Uber drivers James Farah and Yassine Aslam have been able to finally win their case in the Supreme Court about Uber actually having to pay their workers and treat them as actual employees. Now, I don't know if any of you know about this story. I'm sure some of you do by now. But essentially, Uber have been able to get away with not only not treating their employees properly, but also not helping out with investigations of people that weren't uh, part of Uber. Because essentially, the people that were uh, employing the driver was actually the person that was hiring the cab. So Uber essentially didn't have any liability for anything that happened outside the cabs because they, they said they were an app. That's all they were. Like, they're an app and people would open up the app. So this will not only help Uber drivers to have some time off, um, have sick pay, uh, not be essentially driving under the guise of one car, seven drivers, not sure who the driver is who's picking you up. Uh, and also on top of that, the kind of safety for passengers not, and not only people. This isn't a new thing as well. People haven't really understood this. It isn't a new thing. This is us applying the law to Uber because Uber haven't been partaking in the law for a very very long time they owe millions of pounds in back pay billions of pounds in tax revenues uh, it's amazing how companies like this only end up just paying the amount of tax that they owed rather than actually paying any fines or going to jail for it <laughs> if I stopped paying my taxes I would definitely get a uh, community service uh, but it's good that we're coming down these companies but it will change the gig economy forever this is one of the biggest pieces of legislations going on this year probably will go on for the next 10 years it's going to change the gig economy forever now there isn't going to there is going to be losers this isn't a completely good story there is going to be losers, more expensive uh, Uber trips. We are probably going to have less people on the street, so you'll be waiting for your cab for a little bit longer. Um, but the people that are working for them are much more protected. If they get beaten up, they get stabbed, they get hurt, they get assaulted, Uber have to be liable for that now rather than just left on their own, um, which is, a, which is a, a, a good thing. However, there is going to be people that lose their job over this, which is going to be sad. But this is a massive, massive piece of legislation, so I thought it was worth a little bit extra than what we normally give news stories because it's going to change the whole gig economy forever, including every single thing from couriers to vans to people hiring people in shops, zero-hour contracts. This is going to change everything. And I, for one, am glad that people are getting the rights that we deserve to be able to work peacefully and work with the knowing that we're going to be helped by our companies if only anything comes for the worst of the worst basically yeah it's great it's and it's good to emphasize how uh, how significant the story is 
on a slightly uh, less world-shattering news, uh, scientists in America have uh, cloned an endangered species, uh, which is quite a groundbreaking scientific breakthrough, uh, but also for protecting endangered species. Now, this animal that they've cloned is a type of ferret. So this ferret called Elizabeth Ann was just uh, born. Although the producer is telling me that I'm understating this because this is basically Jurassic Park. But um, this uh, cloning of an animal is really interesting because this uh, this animal that was it was cloned from died in the 80s, but they had DNA samples. And it's part of a plan to help reintroduce this DNA from previously extinct animals into wild populations of similar animals to try and increase the gene pool because very, very endangered animals suffer from the fact that there's only uh, a, a tiny amount of them around at a certain point, which creates like a genetic bottleneck. So what they've done yeah. is there's a few more of these ferrets, not many, only a few, a, less than a less than a thousand of these, maybe like two or three hundred of these in the world, but they've cloned from some of the DNA from the seven ancestors that were the only ones alive in the 80s to create an expanded gene pool of them. Uh, and it's That's good because loads yeah. of them were like, I don't want to have sex with my brother, please. Please don't yeah. have sex with my brother again. Yeah, well, that's a massive problem because it creates like a. Uh, so apparently it's 300. That's the number. Thank you, Odin. There's, uh, there's the problem with endangered species you, with this genetic bottleneck is exactly that. When you have very close relatives mating, then recessive genes are very likely, uh, harmful recessive genes are very likely to be expressed and you get all sorts of genetic problems. And yeah, this is a great story because of the Jurassic Park element, the uh, endangered species biodiversity recovery element, but also these are really, really cute animals. I think anyone do you, could do you reckon we will them. have do you reckon we will have dinosaurs one day? I know they, they'd have to be, have been frozen and stuff like that. There's a very um, there's been for a while actually a very serious conversation about whether they could clone a woolly mammoth, which it probably is as close yeah. to uh, we could get to that because they're sticking to like a Chinese elephant, don't they? Because they're, the, they're the biggest elephants, mm-hmm. so they have to use like the embryo and then stick in the plasma. I, I don't know. It's some kind of blood plasma. <laughs> let's just say that. It's Jurassic Park. Have you ever seen Futurama where they find the the dead, the dead dog for uh, Fry? Oh, that just, episode, man. There's that, and there's the goo in the middle. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, dog goo. I, I, yeah, that, yeah. That's what that's what I've got all of my research from. Last thing to mention about the ferrets is just an interesting tidbit, really, that uh, these are so endangered that scientists gave 120 of them COVID-19 vaccines last year over the summer. What? And I don't even have one? No, fuck yeah. off. Uh, okay, we have spoken about this before. We're going to be bringing it back again just to let you know that finally in June they'll be launching uh, the free period products to all school children in New Zealand. Jacinda Arden has finally launched it uh, and the pilot program has come to an end and they've realised it's gone very, very well. So now their aim is to have all schools by June free period products and finally, hopefully, combating basically and getting rid of period poverty, which has affected a lot of kids, and they end up going to school because they can't afford to get any type of period product. So, hopefully, we can just do this more, and, and hopefully, the UK can do it. Uh, I think Scotland have started doing it, and, and it is a, a very, very bad thing. And, and hopefully, um, I don't know if it does, but hopefully, it does 
extend to homeless people because I know that that is something that they uh, suffer with as well. So, um, yeah, mm. amazing stuff. Just into Arden, just yep. being a legend. Hero of ours. Hero of ours. We love her. I've got uh, a good news story for you that happens to be good news and sexy, which is a good double whammy. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, a, a charity is, uh, and local artists, former cancer patients, have all teamed up to create a project which basically is providing a, a sex shop and sexual advice and um, services to pan- uh, cancer patients. The idea being that cancer patients quite frequently feel shame and embarrassment about talking about their sexual health, their sexual life, uh, and that can be really, I mean, Sex is a really important part of everybody's life and cancer can affect so many aspects of your life it shouldn't necessarily need to affect this part of your life. So this is a really great idea to um, sort of to care for people with cancer in a, in a maybe an unconventional way. If somebody said that they, they had a terminal disease and they just wanted to get their end away. Depends if I could catch it or not. If, if not, then That's you know what? That's a good what? point. Yeah, if I it was syphilis. Like a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm dying of syphilis. No, then, thank you very Maybe much. Not. But if I could, if I couldn't catch it, uh, you know, then I would probably be like, you know what, my moral service, I'll do it for you. Yeah, but to be honest, I don't think I'd be at the top of most people's lists. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think someone's seeking me out, going, I've just got stage four uh, vaginal cancer. Better go find Callum for a good stuffing. It's just not going to happen, is it? <laughs> Um, it's interesting though this idea because there's there's obviously quite a um, taboo around this, but in this country particularly, but not everywhere in the Netherlands, uh, they basically consider sex to be a, a right uh, of of all people. So the the government has uh, in in the Netherlands has subsidies for disabled people, which they can spend on prostitutes so that they can have sex. You're telling me they have like food bank vouchers or some yeah, kind of sex like stamps. Tesco vouchers, sex yeah. stamps, and they could take these to prostitutes. Yeah. Does it depend? Like after sixty-nine stamps, you get a free one. Can you imagine a pimp turning up at the court and being like, "Here's all my vouchers. Give me my money. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my voucher, bitch." <laughs> this is very weird. Very weird. But you know what? If it works, yeah, it works. Seems you to. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a great segue into um, you know children's hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, so I, uh, you guys may know, I, I suffer from multiple different heart problems. Um, so this one has been quite uh, something that's been quite close, close to, to your my heart. heart. Yeah, your defective yeah. heart. <laughs> ah, you ruined it. I was trying to build it. <laughs> do up. that. Do that. Trying to build it up, and. Um, so basically, how transplants have worked in the past is if someone is technically brain dead, your heart carries on going, just like a lot of your other organs. I don't know if you know this. I think I think your intestines is the last thing to stop, isn't it? You, you carry on pooing and farting for a very long time after you die. Bit of a side note. So um, what they used to do is just chuck this in a box um, a really cold bottle over the ice and hopefully it, it it carries on going until they get it to the, the, the person that needs a heart transplant uh, and now they've actually been able to 
come up with a thing called Organ Care System, which is basically a heart-in-a-box machine which replicates the human body and keeps the heart going for long enough so that they can pass it around. Oh, so this so, is instead of the, the, the motorbikes you see whizzing around town with the, the, yeah. the ch- cool box, like the esky on the back, yeah, well, which they'll, has got a couple of beers and a liver in it. <laughs> Well, they'll still be there. They just uh, will yes, be you won't be able to keep your beers in there box. at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Nice. They'll be carrying this diff- this box instead. So it, it says that only forty percent of people actually end up getting the transplant that they need, and so you can only imagine how ugh, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to do it. You can't imagine how heartbreaking this is for someone. If their <laughs> heart is on the way, and then it, it, it's not it's not fully functional by the time it gets to you. So it can be transported for more longer distances and uh, will help save more people's lives. At the moment, it's for only people that are about 50 kilograms or more. If anyone wants to know what that is in stone, that is around about eight stone um, above. So these are now... Generally, for people that are a bit more mature, and they're going to be trying to find a way to try and help children out. Children have actually been saved up to six people by this method, uh, but they're going to be trying to do this more and trying to have a more feasible option for kids, uh, basically, to get the tra- transplants that they need, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, and this is why I love science, you know, and 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 health and stuff, and 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 pioneering scientific techniques because if i and this is a bit of a downer sorry but you know if 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 they didn't do all the advances that they have done over the past 30 40 50 100 years then i wouldn't be here today so i'm very very grateful for these types of things and i hope that they continue in this vein and hopefully one day i won't need a pacemaker who knows but um you know this is amazing stuff yeah it is it's amazing to see stuff like that happening I think it will be long before we're just brains in jars with a rate of progress. <laughs> yeah, Futurama. Yeah. Killed it, didn't I? So my last bit of good news is uh, a story about the uh, company Fujitsu. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they don't just make cameras. Um, they do all sorts of chemical and computer and medical research and things as well. And they have a supercomputer called... Gaku, which Ooh. is not the thing that they do on shooting stars when someone gets a special answer. Iranu, uh, Fugaku is the uh, is a really fast supercomputer which they're using to predict tsunami flooding. So something that's particularly important in Japan and Pacific Islands. They have trouble with tsunamis because there's an active fault line in the Pacific, which when earthquakes happen, cause huge tsunami waves to spread out from there. So this AI modeling can predict where those waves might hit to enable preparation and evacuation, things like that. Something that's of particular importance to the Japanese now because they tend to happen in sort of cycles and they're due another mm. big one soon. Um, yeah. You probably all remember the Fukushima nuclear power plant and the, the problem caused there by a tsunami. So being able to model them will, will give them enough warning to prevent things like that happening again. And people dying. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, 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 that's amazing. But um, how will we get rid of all the gays if we can't cause flooding anymore and we can try and stop that? I feel like that's a thing that comes up, isn't it? People blame extreme weather on moral decay, particularly <laughs> gay people. Poor gay people. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's useful, gay, though, but... that there's people who are that crazy out there because as soon as someone says something that insane, you're able to like take a wide berth. Yeah. It's like they may as well be wearing a, you know... 
a flag Why? or a badge that says I'm stupid. Why flooding? I think Why it's a biblical thing in it. Flooding, yeah. Although you know that the Bible plagiarised the Great Flood from uh, an earlier text. Yeah, I heard that they plagiarised it from the flying spaghetti monster of yeah. <laughs> where it was a flood of Dolbio sauce. That's right, and yeah. Yeah, they just. And he rescued all the it. animals with his noodly appendages. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, let's go on with your last story of the day, Buster. So this is this story's got a good motorsport element that I think you'll like. And the other part is just when I read this story, it reminded me of an earlier chat way back at the very beginning of the podcast last season when we talked mm. about the 1904 men's marathon in the Olympics. Oh, yeah. That fantastic yeah. story the where there was uh, the guy who finished, well, crossed the line first had actually cheated because he'd got in a car. The actual winner was carried over the line, drugged on strychnine. A guy <laughs> stole some apples that made him sick. Someone got his clothes nicked, so he just cut the tr- bottoms off his dress trousers. It was, it was yeah. art. It was fantastic. And this motorsports equivalent from just four years later, really, really grabbed me. It's got some brilliant elements, I think. Well, running, like. Running's been around for hundreds of years, but cars would only be around for about a couple, yeah. few decades at this point in time. So, so I can only guess if they started doing races, something was going to probably go wrong. Yeah, big time. So th- this had from the very start, like it was about as well organised as the Fire Festival. Again, sorry, I love to come back to this because <laughs> uh, let's just think about this, right? The first ever car right was built and the considered kind of the birth of cars was in 1886 and still at this point in time there was people going around the wild wild west on horseback and trying to catch each other with rope (laughs) i always want to come back to the wild wild west was really far behind when Carl Benz was coming up with a motorised vehicle that would change transport forever, they were still going around shooting tin cans and trying to catch in- <laughs> American Indians with ropes. Shitting in a wooden box in the that. garden. <laughs> <laughs> Spitting tobacco into a, into a tin. <laughs> Calling people yellow-bellied people and trying to get them out. <laughs> That's the life that they were living at that point in time. Yeah, it's a, it's a mad... Mad juxtaposition. So, yeah, this is totally worth remembering. This this 1908 race we're talking about now is very early days of, of motoring. So the, the background to it is that the, the year previously, 1907, there was a Peking to Paris race. This, uh, <laughs> this race was considered to be a great success because uh, only one person died. And <laughs> the winner of this, like, 10,000-mile race won a magnum of champagne. For his trouble. Wow. So wow. everyone was like, let's do it again next year, but bigger. So the following year, 1908, an American and a French newspaper co-sponsored a race around the world, starting in New York, ending in Paris. 16 teams entered this race, but 10 backed out, leaving only six car teams uh, that actually race. They represent four nations, three from France, one from Germany, one from Italy, and one from the US. Uh, the planned route was to go from New York, cross continental United States to San Francisco, take a boat north to Valdez in Alaska, then cross the Bering Strait by car through Russia and Europe, 
I'm guessing that was at winter time then. Because that was the plan. Winter time, the idea was they could drive across the ice that had frozen in winter, connecting the Bering Straits. Right. Okay. So this so is that a, sounds like a really stupid idea already. Um, yeah, yeah. There's so many that, stupid it, elements it, to this. There's a very, very limited time that you can get from Alaska to Russia by that. By that. And it's 1908. Cars are very much. <laughs> if you've ever seen Laurel and Hardy. The sort of like they have to wind them up at the front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> I mean, what's the longest that you've ever driven, like in one you know trip or one day? Um, on my own. Even just being a passenger, because it's not going to be anything like huge, no, is it? The longest I've driven on my own, and I did it all in one go, was around about like three hundred miles. Four, no, 500 miles. Something like That's that. a full it, day it, of driving. A long then. Way. Full day. Yeah, it was. It was a full day of driving. So, a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Long time. So, you have a, a bit of sympathy for how uncomfortable and difficult it is in a modern car on a road. Yeah, I, I don't think it's anywhere near trying to drive from Alaska to Russia <laughs> on a shit car. And hopefully, there's a road there to even drive across. And when I say road, I mean ice. Yeah, and actually that brings me to the first sort of hurdle to this whole idea is Hurdle? Roads. It's a big hurdle. It's loads of water. Yeah. It's a big hurdle. Yeah. They can't jump. They haven't got a go-go gadget car. They've got a car <laughs> that's been built. <laughs> yeah, this this is, I think, <laughs> maybe hurdle is putting in mind. There's, there's a lot of challenges. So challenge number one is roads. So in 1908, cars are brand new. Road infrastructure was very limited. Really, it was only metropolitan areas, and even then, quite a lot of them were cobbled. Um, yeah, and the rest were in Rome. No yeah, use. all of the rest is leading to Rome, so they're heading in the opposite yeah. direction. Um, yeah. As well, at this point, no one had, well, nine people ever had crossed the US by car, and no one had ever done it in the winter. So, just to start this race would be breaking a record. The other problem with this race idea, and. Hang on, where, where are they getting all the. The fuel from and stuff. There's going to be many fuel. Great point. So yes, there are no petrol stations at all in <laughs> Russia. There are one or two in Europe and one or two in North America. So they had to take buckets of petrol. Did they take into account that the heavier the car is, the more petrol they're probably going to use? No, they didn't carry the petrol with them. They got horses to walk the petrol ahead of them <laughs> and just leave buckets of petrol along the route. Why didn't they just go on the horses? I mean, this they would have got this done quicker if they'd just gone on the petrol horse. <laughs> they didn't need the petrol. They wouldn't have needed the petrol. They just dropped off would the Would have just been a horse, just horse with the person sat on it instead of I, I, open buckets I'm, of petrol. They're, they're not jerry cans. Those didn't even exist by this point. This was an, a bucket of petrol just left evaporating. The Wild, the wild West were all over this. Horse theory. They would have been like, why, why is this a good horse? Just get on a good horse. Someone would accidentally <laughs> shoot a car. bucket of petrol with a Derringer pistol and blow it up. <laughs> yeah, oh, so that's yeah. that's problem number two. Well, well, sort of spotted there. Petrol is an issue. Uh, uh, another interesting one is that the cars of this time didn't have roofs, windows, or heaters. Or doors. Or yes, doors, yes, they? they were just they, yeah. sort of like a always had quite bizarrely quite nice plush leather seats like leather yeah. embroidered seats but yeah no windscreen no doors no roof and your ass would stick to that motherfucker yeah. in the winter wouldn't it jesus christ there's no heating in that yeah they, I mean, so the guys here are in 
basically there's old old timey cars like you know pre Ford Model T the just a, an engine with some seats a little steering wheel everyone's in aviator goggles and big old scarves and supplies stacked up on the back you know looking like um, Beverly Hill Billy sort of style and uh, the yeah so th there's a few off the, you know off the bat issues but nevertheless six teams turned up the start uh, in February of 1908 to do this race a quarter of a million people apparently turned up to watch the start of this race it was of huge public interest so these wow. 250,000 people lining all the streets up and down New York watching the the cars get ready to go they should have asked them to give them a push at the start so they couldn't waste as much petrol <laughs> I mean a, a lot of this race I mean you have to keep remembering how um, underwhelming a lot of this would appear to our eyes today of these like you know old rattly cars with you know horns that you would squeeze and go like <laughs> and so the start of this race uh, I think this sets the tone for the whole thing right so the idea was that this race was going to start <laughs> yeah <laughs> the whole tone would have been like that <laughs> yeah piece of shit cars so the race was supposed to start at 11 o'clock in the morning and they'd got some guy who was the son of a civil war general was supposed to come and start the race for them like a celebrity but he was late had turned up by 11 o'clock and with all these people waiting the president of the American Automotive Club just kind of in frustration just picked up the gun and just fired it bang like with very little warning and that was it it was a really sort of like sudden, oh shit we're starting and that was at quarter past <laughs> 11 it's described in a lot of records as it was started with a gunshot not it was officially started the starting position it was just it started with a gunshot because this guy picked up a gun <laughs> fired it and everyone went oh that's probably us then and just started <laughs> Like, so many elements of this race, as you'll find out, are just so, like, oh, for fuck. <laughs> so, the, the very first of which being, it's in February, it's New York, it's snowy as shit, so immediately after leaving New York City, one of the French teams gets lost. Just goes completely the wrong way and is headed the wrong direction. Well, probably maps and GPS wasn't around there's, back then, so you could easily And get even lost. with a the map, there was no route, so they'd have to look at a map and go, what? Where can we possibly drive a car, probably? No idea, no one's ever done it before. Just to end up doing concentric circles <laughs> in a field or something. So they, they had problems with the snow, so it, they had to dig out the car before they could go in front, and a lot of the places... Oh, and even, these, even cars these days have trouble with the snow, let alone <laughs> yeah. these cars back in the day. The skinny little tyres with the spokes. Jesus! So they had to put boards down in front of them, so they were proceeding at less than walking pace for days after leaving New York so just people walking out and fast people were so, you know a quarter of a million people showed up to watch the start of this so people were excited should, but like really oh this race they should, is they should have started at the top of a hill and just put boards on the bottom and just pushed them and sledged yeah, yeah they should have just sledged yeah it's not, so it's not off to a great start used the horses at the front of it to pull it along well I'll come to that but there is an element of that coming uh, the, uh, the, the first sort of notable event was just 96 miles into this race, which is like almost 20,000 miles. And it's worth mentioning, by the way, that cars at the time had never really been able to drive that far in their lifetime. So this was breaking new ground yeah. for, the, for the maximum distance that these cars could ever go in their lifetime. Well, this would be ridiculous now. Yeah, 20,000 20, mile journey in your car is pretty yeah, heavy. Can be going. 
So I, I thought I thought the most ridiculous race that I'd ever watched was the Wacky Races. <laughs> this this is sort this of sounds like, like that, it's, yeah. it's topping it uh, quite a bit right now. It's not even not, not even like that. It's not like that at all. They were going. They were it's going. True. They somewhere. actually made pretty serious driving. progress. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. 96 miles into this epic race, the um, the first of the cars to exit the race left. The car broke down. It couldn't be repaired properly, and they quit. That was one of the three French teams. So now there's just five teams left in this race. Um, all the way along, because of all the public excitement and the news coverage of this, there was enthusiasts or like you know train spotters, but for cars, out greeting people in the towns. They came, giving them directions, giving them supplies, but some of these groups of people meeting them weren't actually car enthusiasts. Cars are actually kind of unpopular, particularly in rural areas, because they saw them as stealing uh, jobs because of the mechanization of agriculture and stuff. So some people would like just take pot shots at the cars with guns as they travel through. <laughs> one one of the, the American team even. So American team was getting kind of a bit of extra help from locals because they were like, you know, on home turf at the beginning leg of the journey. But the American team even, they went to a farm to ask for directions and the guy deliberately told them the exact fucking opposite direction because <laughs> he was like, God damn horseless carriages. No, Chicago's that way. Sent them, sent them way off. Wow. <laughs> and the, the American team as well, it's worth pointing out just hilariously as a side note, they had a poet with them in the car. The backup driver. What, entertainment? Just just because his dad was like, it's kind of a nepotism. His dad ran an important newspaper. So he was like, I want to be allowed to go on this journey. So you've got to let me, otherwise I'll sail the Atlantic on my own or something. So his dad reluctantly let him go on this dangerous car journey. So they had this kind of deadweight poet guy in there who couldn't drive or fix the car. Uh, all the teams had like backup drives and so mechanics sit, and stuff. He'll be, he'll be so annoying just sitting there saying lyrics. I am a man named Jason. And I am, I, I'm in a car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the word. Blazon. I'll just say Blazon. Yeah, I'll go for Blazon. You're a shit poet. Oh, you're man, a I shit mean, poet. Can you imagine how tedious this would be? Because you're on like a <laughs> extensive road trip with a poet. And this is before radios. So no one can be like, Steve, just pack it in for a minute. Just put on Radio 6 for a minute. No, it's... Sex is like roses. It's red and it's spiky. What are you doing? You're shit at this. He's exhausted You'll all of the You'll never make at this rate. <laughs> so, yeah, they also had a, a reporter from the New York Times following them to cover the whole thing. And he was uh, described by other people covering the event as being massively obese. So when they um, stopped a couple of places along the way and, you know, the crowds were gathering stuff, he once took so long getting into the car that people applauded and cheered <laughs> when he finally got in and shouted, bravo, fatty, to the poor guy. <laughs> so there was all sorts of, like, just farcical little details of this whole thing. Wow. Um, including one when... They, so at the moment, these teams left, the five teams left, are kind of behaving in a very sort of old-timey, gentlemanly fashion. They're sort of waiting for each other, helping each other dig through the snow. So there's like, literally everything that could have happened to these crappy cars happened. So they were, like, crashes breakdowns of every part of the vehicle imaginable, headlights falling off, wheels falling off, flat tyres, um, cars being, having parts stolen and the problems with locals and on top of all of the weather conditions, the snow and the relentless you know, lack of roads and, and infrastructure. So it was incredibly hard going and because of this lots of you know, human problems start to appear. So the 
German crew had a massive fight between themselves and the, the, the crew of this car, the German team, thought that the driver was getting far too much credit and he was kind of the poster boy for the entire team. So they, um, they started getting on his case and he just quit. He said, fine, I'm taking a train to Chicago. You drive the car yourself, so I'll meet you there. So they're having wow. like, all sorts of infighting going on. And that's when Hitler started getting the grudge. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really, they talk about the the start of the First World War being like the Archduke Franz Ferdinand stuff. It really was some bad blood because of a fire festival car yeah. race, wacky races across the world. You mentioned before about horses <laughs> pulling um, some cars. That, that actually happened. So the American team was getting quite a lot of help from locals with digging at roads and stuff, but even for quite a good stretch, getting pulled by horses, totally undermining the... The, the the pointless like nature of this race at the moment where they've been helping each other out and it's been going at walking pace they're now having horses pulling these cars for a bit when the other teams found out they oh. were pretty pissed and called foul and wanted you know to be some punishment or penalties for the american team until it transpired that all of the teams had at various points had horses pulling their cars through the snow right so they couldn't disqualify no. them because they needed a race winner at one point in time so they just they just let it go on they just said look thing. stop doing that yeah. if you can yeah, and the right. reason they actually were pissed is that the americans were getting the horses for free and all the other teams were having to pay locals to get horses to pull them so the right. french team complained a bit and uh, referred to the american populace as peasants winning them some much valuable pr in their race across the united states and then it got worse for the french team because one of their members, who had somebody had previously claimed to have sailed solo on a Viking longboat to the North Pole, so, bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone knows someone like that. Just make shit up. You know, they You yeah, tell yeah, them a story. Yeah, yeah. They've I, got one I've, better. I've, I've climbed. I've climbed Mount Fuji. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, you climbed Mount Fuji? Have you? Yeah. Well, I've done everything. And I, and I pissed on it. Exactly, a top trumper. Yeah. So this guy is a classic top trumper and he's got into a big fight with someone else and it almost ends in a duel. Gets to the point where like guns are drawn but he eventually says, you know, fuck this and uh, he leaves, quits the race. So there's people dropping out now but still we have um, f- uh, five cars in this race. They eventually get to Chicago. Right. So um, the... Uh, there's, there's two French teams still left in this race, but one of the French teams decided that they were just they couldn't hack the the Midwest. They um, there's quite a lot of the teams complained about how much they hated like Ohio and Indiana and those places. They just they couldn't stand it. So one of the French teams decided to just ship their car on a freight train to Chicago, um, to, to San Francisco. In fact, sorry, after leaving Chicago, they decided to ship it all the way to San Francisco on a freight train, cheating massively. That sounds like a really yeah, it's a massive yep. cheat. So they were putting the car onto the train and a reporter spotted them and started setting up his tripod. So back in this day, like you couldn't just get your phone out and take a quick snap. It was a massive involved effort of getting a camera. And then they were driving towards him furiously whilst he had loads of time to set, set it up, take a picture, take it out, put it back in his case and walk away. Whilst they're driving towards him furiously at one mile an well, hour. Well, it's even nuttier than that. So while the reporter was setting up his camera, the mechanic jumped out of the car brandishing an axe running over to the reporter, screaming, the car, in French, the car is in private time now. <laughs> and I'll fix your machine, talking about the guy's camera. Uh, some rail yard workers came over and restrained the guy before he smashed the camera into bits, but a photo was taken of the car on there before it could be covered wow. over. 
and that was it for that French team. The the news got out, it was in the press, and so the car manufacturer who'd sponsored that team's effort sent them this t- wonderful telegram. That because I love telegrams because of how the, the the brevity of them, this telegram simply said, "Leave race, sell car, come home." <laughs> Which they did. That's them out. So there's now just one French team. So yeah, that's them out. So now there's just one French team, Italian, Americans, and Germans. Uh, they're, they're not too far apart from each other. Then getting across the country, still hard going. Really, not a lot of roads, despite the snow not being so present in the further south to go. So the American team was given permission by a rail company to go through a rail tunnel to avoid having to go over the mountains uh, as they crossed. Uh, that doesn't sound like a very no, good idea it didn't. at all. They were given special permission to do this, but they blew out some tyres on the railway sleepers bumping over the tracks. And then because of that, they were stuck in the tunnel for a bit and the, a train was sent through the tunnel. So they were almost <laughs> hit by a train. They narrowly managed to get it wow. off the track in time. Uh, and then subsequently other cars weren't allowed to take the train track and had to go over the mountains. So there's all sorts of trials like that. Eventually they get to San Francisco. Americans were the first to reach there because of this little tunnel they'd been able to get through despite bursting all four of their tires. The plan was then, as I mentioned before, to take them on a boat up to Alaska to then drive across the Bering Straits, which they did. They got up there. It was at this point that they realised that there is actually no ice bridge across the Bering Straits. No one had bothered to check. And it had been a purely, purely theoretical idea that there was ice up there. In fact, there's been no like possible crossing, really, between the two continents across the Bering Straits since the, uh, uh, the Pleistocene, like 20,000 years ago. So, right, really, okay. they could have checked it. Apparently, I was looking into this, whether it's at all possible to cross on lumps of ice or anything. And some people have done it on foot. Um, no, it is. Yeah, it but is you're possible, jumping from lumps right, of ice. Yeah. It, you're crossing an ice floe, basically. It's extremely dangerous. Yeah. And you have to go, if you really want to do it safely, you've got to go really, mm-hmm. really north. Yeah, you're almost into the North Pole. So, they, um, the plan to drive across the Bering Straits was, at this point, canned. Because they were like... This is impossible, and it, it was further uh, further made more difficult by the fact that just getting up to the Bering Straits, they realised that they would have to take the car apart, pack it onto dog sleds, and pull by dog up Alaska because there's no roads and no passable route through Alaska in the winter. And and the horses were just like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I have horses. Yeah, I mean, if on. it's Very if you slippery. can't even get a horse there, because we remember relying on a lot of horse have you petrol seen, for this. Have you seen Bambi? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Bambi? Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, the... Us and deers, very same. They cottoned on pretty late to this, so the plan was changed. They decided, right, we're not going to send people across the Bering Straits on this impossible um, journey to their certain deaths. Send them back. They sent them down to Seattle. The plan would be to get them on a boat from Seattle across to Vladivostok via Japan. Uh, That then meant, though, that the American team had to come back down from Seattle so that lead that they had uh, from Alaska to Seattle that lead that they had was actually removed they ended up being the last on the boat the German team took a train to get to Seattle and that was caught rather than being sent home like the French team who did that they were given a 30-day penalty which is important to note for the story later on so they uh, they're all headed over to uh, to continue the journey the um, the French team, the last French team that's in there, gets to Japan 
and at this point has to suddenly drop out the race because, get this, the owner of the car sold it. He was just like, cut his losses. This has been a bit of a palaver. <laughs> We're not driving across the Bering Straits anymore. I'm just going to cash in my chips now and sell so the car. where is he? Where is he? Leaving and abandoning the entire team crew <laughs> in Japan. Having the other two are just still sitting there just like, what? <laughs> so they get a telegram from the Russians as well while they're in Japan saying don't drive across Russia in the winter it's a fucking stupid idea take the Trans-Siberian Railway which had been finished just quite recently uh, driving across Russia is impossible mm-hmm. they took that as uh, an invitation bring it on bring it so on. there they went to Russia with these cars with the roofs windows or doors in um, what would have been pretty heavy winter. This is March now by this point. And they get there to their glee to discover When did they start? Sorry. Sorry, when did they Vladivostok. start Vladivostok. Vladivostok. When, when did they so, start the whole race? We're now the March. whole race has started in February. Right, okay. So we're over a month in now. Yeah, um, well, it took them 41 days just to get to San Francisco. <laughs> right. And then there was boat trips and stuff. So yeah, they're comfortably into March now in yeah. Vladivostok. Right. And which actually is relevant because... The, the the winter is starting to end slowly as they as they proceed. So their first problem they have is still the snow, but they find a road straight away, which is brilliant. They get on the road and floor it, which in these cars isn't much, but they go for it, only to discover that four miles along this road, this road goes into a river. Right. Which the first of the cars does immediately. Plops <laughs> into the river. Um, it's not going great. They, they, they've managed to stick on some of these roads, but as I said, like winter is ending, the ice is starting to melt, and there was mud, swamps, and bogs everywhere. It's it's hellish. They're trying to dig each other out, and wait at there. one point, one of the teams stops to wait for the other guy. I can't hear anything on your end at all. That's because I muted myself. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's swamps and bogs and muddy conditions it's really difficult but they are still helping each other a little bit well i say they everyone but the italian team who they've kind of left behind because they're right. the, the butt of the jokes the reason for that as well is the italian team had run out of money they had so to use pizzas for wheels to try and drive along yeah they they had used a ball of their sort of food foodstuffs that they've been using for car parts uh, the sort of spaghetti axles and stuff and so they spent uh, about a month in Vladivostok fundraising to try and get some money to continue the race so they were just left behind by everybody else right? Uh, who were all having problems with these mug, mud and bogs but helping each other out a little bit even sharing a bottle of champagne at the end of a day digging each other's cars out so it, you know, still a little bit of this friendly spirit but they spotted an opportunity to take the railway, the German team decided that they were going to leave behind the others and get onto the railway tracks and just make a break for it down the Trans-Siberian Railway, even driving on it at night time, which predictably resulted in them being almost hit by a train Yeah. because they didn't have headlights on their car because they'd fallen off, as most of the car's headlights had done almost immediately on driving on these and terrible they painted, roads. And they painted... So with the uh, German team quite far ahead now, the American team dry jumping on the railway as well, the... Italian team way way far behind and all of the French teams now at this point out classic Germans always trying to jump on the bandwagon aren't they do you know what I mean right. 
always. The, it's just like, leave well, us alone. Let us do our own thing. Come on. The, the American driver was pretty determined to not let the Germans get too far ahead because the Germans, of course, had that time penalty. So we're trying to get as far ahead as they could. But the American driver was a bit had a bit of a the bit between his teeth. He was just a mechanic who worked in the factory that produced this car. He was. They basically said do you want to take a couple of months off to do some driving? And he said, I'll do it as long as I have a job for life at the factory. That was literally the terms he was doing. Ah, so he's Knicky of the T-Birds. He was, he's the mastermind behind the whole vehicle <laughs> and he got to drive it because of that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a bit of but a hero. He, he, did, he, but he's... He, did, he didn't get his head hit when he picked up a penny, though. So he's actually driving. He had no... There's no, no car doors to get hit by. No, exactly. But he had completely lost his mind because he'd been driving 21 out of 24 days for a lot of the time at this point. Wow, no one else. Because he refused to, take... to let anyone drive. Oh, they, okay. They switched okay. drivers at one point, and after half an hour, he was like, Could I just switch back with you guys? So the, the, the Americans were riding really hard trying to catch up with the Germans after the advantage they got on the train track. Uh, and they were neck and neck for a little bit but the American car was a little bit faster, so they managed to get past them. The, the German team was distraught in tears, apparently, at this. But it didn't get any easier for the American team because even back in 1908, everyone hates Americans. So the Russians would encourage their children to throw stones at the American car. Wow, as the Italians are town. pissing themselves laughing at this point. <laughs> if they saw them, but they were really far behind. So really far behind, yeah. They probably didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, at this point, they still hadn't left Vladivostok. They were still doing, like, um, telethons and, you know, pizzerias. knocking on doors, giving up, yeah, yeah, opening a local pizzeria to try and get some money. So, the, um, they also, the Russians, locals, would put broken glass on the road, cover it with hay so it couldn't be seen to try and oh, burst wow. the tyres of the American that, car. That so they were having a tough time, of anyone, too. though, right? That could, could have done damage to anyone's car. They would clear it up for the, the cars. <laughs> So it was uh, it was a very much an anti-American thing, uh, and so they were having a tough time. They also broke their transmission and had to get a part posted out to them, uh, which got sent to the wrong town. So they had to drive off the you know rough route that it was supposed to be planning. So it was it was and, kind and, of becoming. And the Royal Mail close. wasn't as good back then as it is today, as yeah. we know. All, everything's always on time. But it it ended up getting a lot faster, especially as it got closer to Europe. The weather got better, the roads got better, the mud was less. So it started to become quite a intense race with the, uh, the American cars, I said, doing like 21 out of 24 hours driving. And eventually, the Germans, who by this point had got back ahead again, reached Germany. And they had like parades out in the streets, ticket tape, like the Germans thought that their team had won because they got there first. They hadn't heard about this time penalty and stuff. So they were jubilant. They really pulled out all the stops. Uh, they were four days ahead of the American team at this point. So they then proceed to Paris, expecting the same sort of fanfare, but the people receiving them in Paris knew about the time penalty. So it was very much a, you're here, mm. good. There was apparently <laughs> a cold buffet provided with no drinks. Oh, they got the, they got the cold shoulder. Very much so, <laughs> yeah. So they were they were kind of a bit uh, affronted by this, but only four days later, so still within the, the required amount to, to win officially, the American team turns up and arrives in Paris. People lining the streets to greet them as they come through. You can imagine them now on the Champs-Élysées just like coming down yeah. until the, the French Italians. policeman. 
the French policeman stops them. All of the Italians, it's worth mentioning at this point, the Italians are still in Siberia. They've left Vladivostok, <laughs> but are still in Siberia. <laughs> no, the things, things uh, potentially go very wrong for the American team when a French policeman stops the car and tries to arrest everybody because the car has no headlights. <laughs> in daytime. <laughs> oh, wow. So he really was trying to push out a limb to try and make the French win there. Yeah, we weren't even in the race anymore. So he was just being a really diligent policeman. I am getting you back for the exile of Napoleon. Yeah, it's just he just doing his civic <laughs> duty. You notice that this dangerous car driving around in the middle of the day at four miles an hour was a danger to the public. So that, uh, amazingly, a passing cyclist took his bike and put it in the front seat. And that bicycle had a headlamp on it. So the policeman was then completely satisfied that this car what? was now roadworthy. <laughs> and me, allowed them imagine to... me and you get out our phones and being like, <laughs> just taking it the out light. the window. <laughs> hey, that's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. We well, the policeman was just like, that's good enough for me. Get yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, drive really fast. It's okay now. So off they Do went. Do you have your garlic? Mm. <laughs> Do you have your cigarettes? Mm. Do you have your snails? <laughs> as a French sings, as a French sings that I'm interested in. You are going as slow as a snail. I might cook you in garlic. Mm. But they managed it. They won. The American team got there four days behind the Germans to 26 days ahead of them, technically because of the time penalty, uh, which may be actually a record for the uh, longest lead in any motorsport race in history. A 26-day lead. Right. And uh, and they had a huge fanfare because they knew they'd won. The, the champagne was taken out. The uh, the warm buffet was taken out, and they they got the award, which was not a huge cash prize, as you might expect for something that had taken at this point 169 days, and would, would could be fairly described as arduous. They won basically a really heavy trophy. It was like a 60 kilogram trophy. So. <laughs> They would have probably had to pay to have it sent home to New York from Paris. Wow. Hopefully not in the car. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Odin mentions quite rightly, they probably would have had to get horses to bring it back because we've demonstrated it's difficult. The the end result of this, this, you know, this victory was the the guy who drove the American car was in fact given a job for life. Uh, he was stiffed on the amount of money that he was promised for it. He was given less, about a tenth of the money he was promised for it, but given a job which he was happy about, and he said he would never do a driving job for money again. Uh, wow. And also the the big thing that came from this, because it created such an interest, but really people noticed that the roads around the world were really non-existent or not up to scratch for the future of transport and motoring. So the road systems around particularly the US massively, massively changed after that point and uh, asphalt, which the Americans used to cover their roads was invented just two years after that and right. road networks expanded as a consequence of this absolutely insane wacky races around the world That's crazy though that they were driving through Russia during the the kind of takeover of the Tsars and they had their massive revolution at that point in time, L- Lenin's running wild, going crazy with Stalin, and they're taking over museums, and uh, the Bolsheviks are, are getting more power. And they thought it would be a really good idea. Like, this happened years before, and it wasn't, I think it started in like 1905 or something. So, what what, a, what courage and backbone or craziness do they have to think that they could just drive through fucking Russia? 
it's insane that this was pitched as a race rather than uh, almost this is an exploration mission trying to get a car through these places is insane like it's they, never been done so they did it yeah they, pretty much well aside from the train tracks horses being pulled train rides um pushed shoveling planks down champagne what did the American car industry in 1908 ever do for us? Yeah. Well, the, the company that made this winning car was called Thomas Cars or Thomas Motoring. They um, only lasted another few years themselves before they folded. They made a disappointing wow. second album. The car um, wasn't as uh, as popular as the one that won this race, and they ended up yeah folding. But well, trailblazers nonetheless. That is absolutely mental, though. Like, I just, like, what a stupid idea. What a wanky, yeah. stupid idea. It's the idea like, that you it's, could it's, drive it's, across it's, the Bering Straits, for me, is the brilliant bit. They just hadn't uh, been thought out at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's crazy that people just thought that it would work. Like, everything's means-tested now, really, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Everything's down to the mile or whatever. And they've just created something, and they've gone... Well, it, it gets me to the shops and back, so it, why wouldn't it get me around the world? <laughs> it's just a little bit longer. Um, Concredible. Wow. Did, did it, did it, so, out the back of this, did, did they do this again? Did they carry it on, or, or was this a... No, there's never been another round-the-world race. They tried to organise one in 2011 that never really came off like they expected. It, it's, it, it's become more difficult in modern times to hold transnational events because of the political difficulties of crossing national boundaries and things so yeah this is wow. this is a quite a exceptional thing um, and the Italian team by the way did eventually September of that year they managed to finish it take them over 200 days to finish <laughs> and they didn't even get a buffet no and actually yeah. the sad thing is is they considered themselves to be the only team that ran a clean race and hadn't cheated in any way well, and so they considered themselves the moral victor at the right. end. Well, it's lucky, you know, they didn't get a buffet because they didn't bring their wellies with them to, to fill the boots uh, with <laughs> the whole thing. Um, I don't know if you know about this guy. Do you know about um, Thomas Midgley Jr.? Do, do you know about this geezer? It's, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, Is he the he, guy who invented CFCs or something? Uh, yeah, he he was yeah. he was he was the wor- he's known as the worst inventor of all time. So he oh, yeah, created yeah, CFCs guy, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. He ended up um, uh, one of his biggest thing was he because of that clunking sound that you used to hear at the front of of cars when they used to turn them around. Uh, he put lead in there, which That's caused right, hundreds yeah. of people to go into hospital and kill people because of lead poisoning, and it's very very serious lead poisoning. Um, and I don't know if you know about how he died. Um, but the, Thomas Thomas Mitchell was a quite serious inventor. Like he genuinely thought that he was a really, really smart guy. And by the way, that lead thing did work. It did stop the yeah CFCs worked as a refrigerant as well. Yeah, like he just yeah, exactly. accidentally really shit at being an inventor. Yeah, and um, so he got very very unwell. And so he created, because he was so weak, he created like a winch system to help him sit up in bed and move around in bed. And um, when he was pulling himself up one day, it slipped, it wrapped around his throat and he strangled himself to death. (laughs) Although that is what you would say if you'd built an elaborate asphyxiwank machine, isn't it? Well, I don't think he said anything. I think he just caught him dead. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's like I died 
I wasn't wanking at the same time. I've made this machine to help us get in and out of bed. So what's that bit that's shagging you for? Yeah. Oh, that's oh. Um, it's a thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. He's known as the most dangerous inventor of all time. Um, he was most responsible for kind of climate change and all that kind of stuff. And just remember, someone invented the atom bomb. I say someone. It was, you know, uh, Einstein. And this guy was... It was a whole team of people, wasn't it? Oppenheimer and that lot, Project yeah, Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mental. Um, so cars are just interesting generally, but I have no fucking clue about cars generally. I'm, I'm a bit of a motorhead in terms of the sport. I genuinely don't know anything about cars. Like I, I know how to drive one. I don't think my girlfriend would agree, but I do know how to drive <laughs> one. And uh, yeah, well, I think that this calls for us to go on a round trip, guys. I think we can have the... The podcast and the first stop, Sealand. <laughs> Absolutely, we can drive yeah. to Sealand when the Mediterranean and the Channel and Old Sea <laughs> all freeze over. over and, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Um, before you go, please head over to the Instagram page. That's at that's news to me pod it gives you a daily dose of good news and interesting news as well it isn't just good news it's also some interesting stories there and there'll also be some videos put up as well so uh, keep an eye on that but before we go as always we come round to buster giving us a little summary uh, of the stories that we've learned about today well, as always, we've really learned nothing because this has been an exercise in... Uh... Close to fuck all! <laughs> yeah, but I suppose we've learned that the uh, pop star Britney Spears modelled her life around a mass-murdering pirate from the 14th century. Who... Like murdering pop music. Yes, exactly. And that it's never a good idea to piss off Jeanne de Clisson because she will hold a grudge for 13-odd mm-hmm. years. And we also learned that every single winter, without fail, a perfectly safe, very smooth ice bridge is formed across the continents of Asia and North America. An ideal holiday spot, maybe take your old-fashioned jalopy there. Jalopy. (laughs) Well, guys, uh, I hope you've had a fun time. Uh, Buster, same to you. I don't ever wish you unwell thoughts, but, you know, <laughs> today I just thought I'd give you some extra special nice Smart thoughts. me up for special attention, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it's goodbye from me. And Gan Canny from me. <laughs> <laughs>